to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is going to bring us along in faith. Like it or not, He's going to teach us to depend on Him. Now, I know right now that there's a lot of people struggling that we know, of course, with the economy and all of that. And, you know, on the one hand, of course, it's a time of anxiety and a time of a lot of worry and fear for people. But, you know, on the other hand, look at it on the other side. It is a great season for faith building. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 22 in a message titled, Abraham the Prophet. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Sometimes it's not just the the particular thing that we're in the midst of that's so troubling. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But the other part is trying to figure out what is actually going on. What is God doing? How could this have happened I mean, after all, this seems to just be so contrary to everything that God told me. This just seems to to contradict all of the promises that he's given me. And we find ourselves in those times of, uh, you know, just going through the mental gymnastics and trying to work through it and try to, Lord, you know, what are you doing here? But, you know, we might never be able to figure it out but we can just sit back and say, okay, Lord, I can't figure it out, but I know you can, and I trust that you know what you're doing, so I am going to rest in that. And you know, that's the best place to be at sometimes. Sometimes trying to figure it out is where we get in the most trouble. But I don't understand, and I, I just don't know why God would, and you know, and we, we get in this thing and there's just a point where you just have to stop and say, okay, Lord, I can't figure it out. I have very limited understanding. I have very limited knowledge about most things. And yet, you're omniscient. You know all things. And this is what you said and this doesn't look like a good plan, in my opinion, not the way that I would do it if I was going to accomplish that thing that you said you were going to do, but Lord, you're God, I'm not, so I'll just trust in you. That's where we have to come to sometimes. And it's not easy, and you know, living by faith is, I think, something that, I think we desire it in theory, but when it comes down to really doing it, we'd rather let somebody else do it. You know what I mean? Oh, I want to be a man of faith. Oh, Lord, I want to trust you more. And then you find out that the way to become a man or a woman of faith, that the way to trust God more is you got to go through things where you actually have to depend on him. And when that starts happening, you say, okay, look, that's all right, Lord. I'll just stay right down here on this lower level of faith. We'll let other people rise, you know, to those higher levels. But, you know, God is going to bring us along in faith, like it or not. He's going to teach us to depend on him. Now, I know right now that there's a lot of people struggling that we know, of course, with the economy and all of that. And, you know, on the one hand, 
Of course, it's a time of anxiety and a time of a lot of worry and fear for people. But you know, on the other hand, look at it on the other side, it is a great season for faith building. It's a great opportunity to trust the Lord and to just say, well, Lord, I, you know, I, my life's in your hands. And to really take what God has declared in his word, to take it at face value and to apply it to my life and to realize that just as he said, he cares for the birds, he cares for the flowers, he takes care of nature and all of those things, how much more is he gonna take care of us? Because we are his children. So these challenging and trying times are really just opportunities to grow in faith. Now, as we move on in the story, we come, of course, as we've already read, to that moment where the Lord intervenes and prevents Abraham from going through with what he was intending to do. And it was there then that Abraham turned and saw that there was a ram caught in the thicket. And he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And now in verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Yaira. The J is really not pronounced in the Hebrew. Just we put the J there. But of course, we have the name of God and then we have attached to the name of God a word that means sees, but it also can mean provides. And it can actually mean something like the Lord's provision will be seen. Or you could reverse it, the Lord sees and therefore will provide. But now notice Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Not the Lord did provide, although he did. He called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And then he said this, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Or you could understand it, in the mount of the Lord, provision shall be seen. Now, this is astounding because Abraham is basically prophetically, and here's, I guess, where we do have a, a verbal prophecy from Abraham. He's been prophesying through his life experience, and now he prophesies that this is the place. Where is this place? This place is Mount Moriah. This is the place where provision will be seen. Provision for, of course, sin, ultimately. Now, do you remember in the eighth chapter of John's gospel where John records that Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees and he says something to them about Abraham. And this is what he said. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day he saw it and was glad. And I believe that 
Jesus was referring to this. And what Jesus is telling us is that Abraham, at this moment, understood. He understood that everything that he had just passed through was all prophetic. Everything that he had passed through was all a picture of what God the Father would do as he would offer up his son for the sacrifice. Because Jesus says specifically that Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. So Abraham had a revelation from God, evidently, to to understand and to know the implication of what he was actually stating in this prophecy. And so in the mountain of the Lord, in this particular mountain, Mount Moriah, and it's interesting that, first of all, the provision was seen in Mount Moriah through the erecting of the temple there. Because, as you know, of course, the temple was the place where the sacrifices would take place. So initially, there was the fulfillment through the temple and the sacrificial system that was part of the temple worship. But then, of course, that was all itself as well pointing to the Lord when he would come. Now, having passed the ultimate test, once again, the Lord reiterates to Abraham the promise. Verse 17, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemy. Notice the word descendants is used, but in verse 18, in your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in your seed, singular. This is the promise of the Messiah. This is the prophecy of Jesus. Sometimes if you have the uh, the older translation, the King James Version will always use the word seed, but the context will sometimes indicate that it's actually speaking of seeds, plural, speaking of the descendants. The New King James differentiates and uses descendants frequently, but here even the New King James Version uses the singular seed to emphasize that this is the prophecy of Jesus. And of course, uh, we know that to be absolutely the case because Paul in Galatians 3.16, he quotes and he specifically says, God does not say seeds as of many, but he says seed as of one who is Christ. And so here again is the promise that the Messiah is to come through Abraham and through him, all of the nations of the world shall be blessed. You know, we have so much confusion in the world today about God and about salvation and the way of salvation. And we have these bureaucrats and these politicians who are wanting to sort of weigh in on it. And, you know, they're trying to pass legislation in different countries where it's illegal to proselytize 
It's criminal to state that your religion is the one and only religion or that there is only one way to God. I mean, that's the world that we're living in tonight. You think about that, and I mean, that is actually a direct attack against the biblical message that there is only one Savior. And the devil doesn't want that message being communicated. And so he's working through corrupt leaders and politicians, and he's trying to silence the gospel from going out because there is only one way by which a person can be saved. In your seed, the Messiah, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we have got a big task to keep getting the gospel out to people. Now, as we come into the next chapter, we have the record of Sarah's death. Sarah dies at 127 years old. Remember, Isaac was born when she was 90. Now, we don't know how much of a, of a gap there is here, but the Jewish rabbis believed that Isaac was probably about 30 years old. Josephus said that, he said that Isaac was 25 years of age. So he was somewhere between, I would say, 20 and 30. So he's a full-grown man. And now remember, if that's the case, then Abraham is 125 or 30 years old. Isaac could have conceivably and probably quite easily restrained Abraham and simply refused to participate in this sacrifice. But where we see Isaac as a picture of Christ is in his willingness, in his submission. So Abraham is a picture of God the Father. He plans and executes the plan. Isaac as a picture of Jesus, as a picture of the Son, he simply submits himself to the plan. And so Isaac's contribution or, or the, you know, the recognition of his spirituality is essentially in this particular event here. His willing submission to be offered up if that was what God was requiring. That's pretty amazing. But as we go on to see, as I mentioned, apart from that, He's a good picture in a lot of ways because he is an ordinary man. And most of us are just ordinary people. And thank God you don't have to be some, someone extraordinary to be loved by God or to serve God or to you know, make a genuine contribution to the kingdom of God. Sometimes, I'm, I'm very conscious of this sometimes, you know, sometimes even in teaching and using uh, examples of people, we tend to always be referring to the people who have done all the great things for God, you know, over the centuries. We talk about the great men of faith and the great evangelists and the great revivalists and the great missionaries and all of that. And, you know, boy, the average person sitting out in the congregation could just think, well, man, I'm just a loser. What could I ever do? 
I can't do anything great for God. I'm not great. I'm just an ordinary person. Well, you know, those people were ordinary as well. God made them extraordinary. God did things with them that, that put them in that place. But again, with Isaac, I, I like the picture of Isaac simply because he, he just, he's just an ordinary guy. But he's right in there. He's part of that covenant. He's right there in the center of it, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, verse 20 through the end of the chapter tells us a little bit about the children of Abraham's brother in preparation for the events that follow. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, indeed Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Chapter 23, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjoth Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you a burial place that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field, let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth. Ephron the Hittite answered Abram, in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land. Now, as you read through this, if you do a little bit of background research, you'll find that what they're doing here is it's customary. This is the way you sort of negotiated and bargained. You know, Abraham says, I want to buy it from you. He says, oh no, I can't sell it to you. You just take it. You know, you're my friend. That was all part of of a customary procedure He really did want to sell it, but you had to pretend like you didn't want to sell it. And so that's kind of what we're experiencing here. So Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, 
and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Now, remember, Abraham at this point, he's still a foreigner in a sense. God's given him this land, but it's still in the possession of others. And so here is where he actually purchases a piece of this land. So now this is just this little portion. This is his personal property. This is all he has basically by way of ownership in the land at this point. But through a process of time, as we know, God will ultimately give that entire land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, we know the history. God gave it to them already. They possessed it for many centuries. And yet, because of their ongoing unfaithfulness to God, they were removed from the land. And then ultimately, because of their rejection of the Messiah, they were finally dispersed and have been so until just recently, as you know. It's interesting, though, that presently there is an attempt to deny that the Jews ever had possession of what we would call the Holy Land. There's an attempt to deny that there ever was a nation of Israel, that there ever was a Davidic kingdom, that there ever was, you know, Judah and Israel and all of that. And this kind of propaganda is uh, being disseminated all over the world today. Once again, in an effort, of course, to deny Israel's right to the land. But we know the end of the story. And we know that even though all of the nations of the world gather together against Israel, that God will ultimately give them that land. It's theirs because he gave it to Abraham and to his seed. So we'll follow along as we pick up in chapter 24 as Abraham sends out his servant to obtain a bride for his son Isaac. And once again, there's a great story right there on the surface, but it does seem that there are some interesting things hidden just slightly beneath the surface as well, and we'll look at that next time. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite authors is a man named Mark Sayers, and he's written a fantastic book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, Mark talks about 
us living in a gray zone. And what he means by a gray zone is that we're living in a time between two eras. One era is passing, but the other era is not completely upon us yet. And that leads to social, cultural, and sometimes even personal disorientation. And so this book is a fantastic book that will help us keep our bearings during this time by keeping our focus on Jesus and what God is doing in the world despite what is going on around us. So a non-anxious presence is my recommendation. I know that you will be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. You can order the book, A Non-Anxious Presence, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, to give you a clear picture of how personal renewal happens after a crisis. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.